welcome to the Twin Geeks 183. Back here with Jesse. Jesse, how are you? It's been a I'm, year. I'm doing fantastic. What a long year waiting to watch another Halloween and talk about it. I know. We mark it on our calendar and uh, we uh, sent out the invites. Uh, David uh, protested the radio head talk from the last few <laughs> episodes. He said uh, he said he couldn't smile anymore. He, he was <laughs> losing his will to smile. So yeah he the audacity of him to allege that he has something more important to do than to watch a shitty halloween movie and talk about it with me i just don't buy it i feel like maybe he's just like maybe that's like a really good out is like he's like i'm gonna go to like a retro expo and look at old video games he's like i'm gonna go play an atari 2600 instead of talk to you guys about yeah. <laughs> i want i'm gonna go play pong for the next six hours uh, yeah, because now now we're getting to the point where it's it's getting fun, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fun like if you're like a Halloween fan, like in a way that I am, but I know like you especially are, where you're like mm. in on the details and like kind of like the cast recurrence and you know. Um so last time we did Halloween four, and that one ends with the the clown murder there. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Michael getting shot up by a, a group of villagers. Um, yeah, didn't I even throw some dynamite in? Yeah, <laughs> which seemed to be like a final thing. Like, oh, like Halloween three, you know, didn't do what we wanted, so we brought back Michael, and you know, then we killed him at the end, so we can move forward finally. And yeah, and they're just like, Michael's back. Yeah, and that's the thing that I probably pointed this out last year, but Halloween three is always deemed as this failure. And Halloween four as this, you know, this bounce back. Right. But Halloween three made like fifteen million and Halloween four only made like eighteen million. It's the, the budget of three must have been smaller. Yeah, I would I would imagine it was. But so wait, you know, are I, you saying three was more successful? Because I've never seen it framed that way. Uh no, not I mean uh, you know, taking inflation and everything into an account. And the fact that four was an increase in gross compared to three, I'm sure yeah. you can look at it as an, as a su- success based on that. But to see it held as like, oh yeah, we ride the ship, you know, and everybody's <laughs> back. I I don't buy it, you know. Yeah, I, I don't either. I don't know if that was the new direction for Halloween either, but it was kind of like a recentering on the brand, being like, we're just going to do the thing we did the first two times again, yeah, and see what happens and. I don't, I mean I'm not quite biting on that, but uh, especially from what it cost, you know they, Carpenter and Hill are gone, you know, yeah, all for a three million increase on gross. Oh yeah, Con- congratulations. <laughs> I know you kind of lose like the center of the storytelling, especially is what's gone. These next two movies after three, is you you start messing with the story. They came into this one without even a completed script, so you know they're just yeah. like going. See their pants. So here's what's Halloween now. It's just kind of we, we find the story as we go. It has Michael in it and we find it. Yeah. And it's amazing. You know, like Halloween four comes out and within a year, they decide to do Halloween five, plan it, write a couple different scripts, yeah. um, shoot it, edit it. it all, and it comes out within a year, you know, okay. of so Halloween within four. Within a year of four. Yeah. It was pretty fast release. Um, yeah. 
and they really just uh, wanted to keep that going because that's what was happening in the late 80s was that these horror sequels were one after another like um friday the 13th especially like expedited that mm. like it was just one after another they're like oh shit we could do that like people would keep yeah. buying those tickets we didn't know that yet yeah you know? i feel like i feel like they kind of missed their chance too because by this time it's the late 80s slasher movies in general are starting to decline i think freddy's the king and yeah you know it was getting saturated in. right because these movies uh-huh. were coming out one after another and there were like multiple franchises doing this all at the same time now um mm-hmm. Yeah, but we're in '89 now, and you—you you are. It is, of course, the last of the '80s and the last swing uh, before new like '90s aesthetics creep in, and uh, before like horror like reconfigures to like a MTV popular generation of the '90s. And uh, mm-hmm. it's weird that I didn't do it before, but there was too much going on in the '80s already, you know, for <laughs> for horror to become MTV. It was still finding how to sequelize itself and how to like formal it formulate that but like all these like rapid succession of late 80s horror movies is what makes scream possible right because it's yeah so much riffing on that continual stab series in its metafiction mm-hmm. and speaking of which this is the last installment in the series before the weinsteins get involved so oh yeah. right yeah oh yeah the weinsteins uh you know and miramax uh Proud, mm. proud new owners of uh, oh man Friday thirteenth, yeah, or Halloween, you mean? It's or just, Halloween? Excuse me, yeah, yeah. I was it still might thinking as well of be. those, yeah, of Friday thirteenth. A twenty four was bidding for the rights on Halloween, and they got like the TV rights for Friday thirteenth, and then, um, mm. I guess why A twenty four needs to go into this like mass market thing is because they got new investors. And they were like bought out last year or something, but they gave them an insane evaluation where valuation where it was like, now we need to make movies that actually match what our valuation is. Otherwise we're a shrinking company. So yeah, uh, they were valued at like 2.5 billion. Yeah. They're going to, the threat is them losing their identity as you know, the what's that bad term elevated horror house. Yeah, I mean, I I always like A24 generally. I mean, they started with Under the Skin, my favorite movie. It's it's hard for me not to, you know. I don't want to be one of those guys with like the A24 tattoo, although we may have a few in our community. <laughs> Apologies yeah. to them. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, uh, they, they gave us the, uh, the Eggers films, you know, The yeah. Witch, Lighthouse. Yeah, I love their work. And they they've stated that even though they're going to go for more mass appeal that they want to keep, uh, you know, the same level of quality. We'll see if the Friday, the 13th show actually happens. <laughs> they do have other shows. They have euphoria that's under them. Um, they, oh, is they, it? Yeah. They, they are part of some TV shows that are going. Um, and I think a 24, you know, it might be a euphoria credit to them because that feels like their kind of thing. Just throw a budget, uh, but keep it like under the stylization. It's not like the Netflix thing where they throw a filmmaker a budget and then they ask them to make what they want, you know. Um Netflix always like famous for no notes, but maybe like some notes, like we need you to retain your style might be a worthy note, yeah. you know? Like maybe some notes are good. And we had like the Green Knight, like A24 has a very defined, you know, filmmaker that they go after. Um mm-hmm. Relative to Netflix, you just kind of get whoever's the biggest or whoever came out of Sundance last year, and then just have to make like the 
something that you could watch a you know you could watch your phone at the same time it's i don't know movie design strange right now it is it, it really is especially uh what marvel has discovered that tv shows should have showrunners <laughs> he did say that it was it was like that comment where uh where what's his name kevin feige is that that's the guy in charge yeah. he was saying that he was watching eternals and he's like they shot it with a real camera they have they have actually <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, where, where he discovered what shooting on location can can give you, and it's almost like a child discovering all these things for the first time, despite and them being on top for the past decade. Then we saw Eternals, and there was like nothing like miraculous about the location shooting. It was just it had the locations. I mean, it, it shot in places. That's correct. <laughs> like that wasn't. It, I mean, that shouldn't inspire you. What what was shot yeah. in that movie? Chloe Zhao is a good filmmaker and can do better. Uh, so that shouldn't inspire you when she does so much worse. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I feel like a lot of movies, um, they'll use practical effects and shoot on location, but then in post, they try to blend it with CGI to the point where it just looks like it was fake the whole time yeah right there was that thing like i think it was fast and furious 10 where they had like a rolling ball um that went down the streets uh like fast five they were like recreating that bank high scene so uh they had this special feature without the practical effects applied to it and it looked awesome until like they they're like and here's what happens when we applied the effects so it looks so fake like yeah they made they actually had like a physical prop that looked awesome and then they covered it with effects just to make it look fake like why you know it's like extra steps yeah happening. like a maybe a controversial choice on my part was a uh, mission impossible six you know that mm. big halo jump that tom cruise did that they talked about for months and yeah it yeah it's it's amazing that he did it but it looked fake as hell to me in the movie with <laughs> once they threw in you know changed the entire scenery and everything yeah I found that like some scenes that are shot in IMAX look especially fake. It's like that thing where you get to like eight K, like eight K cameras, and it's just mm-hmm. like we see too much. It looks it looks so real. It doesn't look real anymore either. So movies are in that strange place where effects are like good enough to have, you know, not uncanny valley anymore. But you're like, well, that looks real, but it but it looks it's cheapening the real thing behind it. It's yeah. strange now. Yeah, I'll find I'll get surprised. I'll see like a behind the scenes video on YouTube. I'm like, oh, that they they built that. Huh. Well. <laughs> yeah. I I mean like the new like Indiana Jones and, and everything's just doing like even actors' faces now. Like even the actors in the movie aren't a given anymore that they're yeah. going to be who they are in real life. Like Did, did you watch that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Just, just kind of I mean like uh, no yeah. notes, you know, it's it's not the good kind of no notes. It's it's real bad. Um, no interest in that because even like Crystal Skull, you go back, they actually had some practical things on set, and they still have you know good guidance there. So it is still a possibility. Um, I think like back in like eighty nine, it's kind of the opposite of the A twenty four model. Uh, you're getting directors <laughs> like uh, what's the director of uh, Halloween Five here? The movie we we're talking. I'm about. gonna I'm gonna butcher his name. It's... Yeah, I, I didn't want to go for it. So that's why I'm <laughs> guilting you into it. Dominique, uh, O'Thin and Gerard. Yeah, Gerard, as you say, uh, was yeah. a TV movie director before this. He had like three TV movies to his credit. Like nothing 
that anyone had seen. And it's just crazy that franchises went from like John Carpenter to Dominic Othin and Gerard. Gerard. I mean, like, <laughs> Gerard. <laughs> um, Apparently he met Deborah Hill. And I guess even though she what didn't hold an interest in the series that she recommended him to a cod and how he came on up, you know, I, I've heard that he just, uh, he walks in to meet a cod and he takes the uh, current version of the script that they had at that time and just crabs it and chucks it across the room. <laughs> Says we're getting rid of that. Oh, that's good. Even- yeah. That's how you almost have to start it. I think that's how it has to go for this one to come out how it did. Right. Yeah. Um, I- I've heard rumors that he, he might not have even seen Carpenter's original movie. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. I, it begins I do know to that, make more sense. Yeah, I do know his first take. He wanted to have like a a Frankenstein like uh, aspect where uh, Myers is more sympathetic and the town's kind of coming after him. And yeah. no, man, I mean, we can't do that at this point. There are like reverberations and like Halloween kills of what's happening here. You know, like he goes and gets revenge on the town, and you know the revenge of Michael Myers, all of that. Um, yeah, unlike how movies and horror movies are made today where you get the latest Sundance director and like insert them into Marvel or an A24 or a neon movie, um, there wasn't really that presence at festivals uh, before, you know, before Clerks and all of that, uh, before Pulp yeah. Fiction in 90, what, 93, 94 there. All Miramax movies. Yeah, once Just- Miramax <laughs> came to Sundance, that changed how we uh, place, literally, it changed how we place directors into franchise movies. Um, so everything has changed since 89, but this was like a last cusp of like what horror was doing in the eighties. Um, it, it shows, it shows that it's getting old. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. That, that this model isn't working anymore yet, even though we go into Halloween six next and, oh, and that God. really shows, you know? Yeah. That's. It's going to be a fun conversation once we talk about that. <laughs> we have to get David in for that because that's just too crazy. Like the split yeah. between the directors and the original, we'll get into it next year. Yeah. Um, well, and we, we have to watch both of them too. You know that, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, they're different enough and they have different implications that I don't know if we'll get David to watch both, <laughs> but we're going to have to explain it. Uh, my favorite text in the group chat was you saying, you see that I said to David, I have to explain Halloween 5. <laughs> yeah, the, the important plot points of Halloween 5. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so what are, what are the important plot points? Maybe this could be your explanation to David. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to explain Halloween 5. Like uh, Just going through it, I was taking notes as I was watching, and I was almost thinking, hey, we could just go beat by beat, but that probably sounds terrible. But I do know the movie starts off on the wrong foot (laughs) it does uh i mean michael myers just reborn again as it happens he was he was staying with like a a doctor death or something for a year yeah well that scene was cut right yeah so because we just watched that so yeah he he somehow crawls out of the hole that the dynamite was thrown into or whatever i don't know and then he takes the lazy river down to the shack (laughs) and uh originally they had this uh a cult character named Dr. Death. Yeah. Who, and like, like you said, tell me, Hey, that's not perfect, but it's better, you know, cause at least it, it kind of gives an explanation as to 
why this dude's just sleeping on this guy's bed for a year. <laughs> it establishes something instead of just yeah. implying that something happened and oh well, we're moving on. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in the theatrical, we get this this old hermit who gets attacked and his first thought is, well, I ought to put this guy in the bed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what happens in that version. We had just watched the uh, cut version. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he, yeah. Why is he like the motives behind people who help Michael are never really clear to me. I mean, no. And <laughs> Michael just wakes up and just immediately kills the guy, which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we get back to that kind of strange, like Michael and other people like motives and like Halloween ends in a really funny way. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's the one that kind of reflects back on those themes that happen in these movies where the motivations are so strange that uh, there are a few different like mass costumes in the movie. We have the, the Michael one, which I think is the, the primary problem with the movie is that like <laughs> the mask just like hangs like out, like it's, you see like the outline of the mask. So he's not a shape very literally. He's just, yeah. he's a guy in a mask. I've heard it affectionately referred to as the Nick cage mask. <laughs> okay. Cause he kind of looks like Nicholas cage. Yeah. But... I mean, usually it's tucked in. So he's a shape, right? Oh, yeah. Like it's, it's in his shirt and you, you see that he's, it, it's like, it's part of his skin. It's like, it's grafted onto him in the yeah. other movies. Yeah. The neck is so large and this, it's really odd because the, the guys who made it, it's K and B effects. You know, they're they're basically legends. They're who you would want to go to. And I think this is like right after they got started as a company. So Evil Dead Two happened just a year or two before, and then they make K and B, and this is one of their first films. And somehow they just completely botched it. Yeah. And it's it's not the last time they're going to botch a Myers mask. We'll circle back to them <laughs> in Halloween H two O. Yeah. And they 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 made the mask there that caused them to have to reshoot half the movie <laughs> yeah right this is yeah. probably my least favorite just because of how it hangs off his oh, face yeah. though it's just oh. the form of it is so bad and the the nose is really weird because it's like there's an appliance that's added on to it and yeah maybe the guy playing him just had a large nose i know he got his nose broken at some point in the movie by donald pleasance who's just giving it his all <laughs> he becomes the main character though is is something right yeah. i would say he's the main character at this point yeah and uh one one note uh with the mask it's always a bad sign to me in a halloween sequel if you uh have a myers mask that uses nylon to cover the eyes <laughs> right yeah yeah um because they're they're not even going to try to give this thing you know proper lighting <laughs> or whatnot it's just that's true it's, it's it's lazy. There doesn't seem to be any. Uh, of course, like the the director coming from television of the eighties, there's really no care about lighting or cinematography <laughs> or script or acting or um, anything you'd usually regard as like a technical category in a movie isn't really, you know. Apart from you know, well, you could you could lean on the library of music and and the themes of Halloween. Those are there. Yeah, and they definitely do. <laughs> they do. Yeah. They use those things. Yeah, they got Alan Hallworth to come and just reprise all the old themes, even some of the same exact sound cues. And, you know, no disrespect to Alan, but it's it's not necessarily good. <laughs> no, it, it sounds different. Uh, yeah. Like, he, he comes into his own a little bit more, more in the next movie. But yeah, for this, it just sounds like he, well, you know, screw it. He got paid. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's just like a lot of strange touches, like we said about motivation and even Donald Pleasant. So it's great that he's like top build because he's really my favorite character in the franchise. Uh, it's great that he's top build because uh, he just gets to like go in and like choke out a child and scream at them. And <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And this is, this is the thing with Halloween five. It's, it's one of the more hated entries from series fans. And like we acknowledge this movie's bad. This is a very yeah. bad movie. But I have a rule that if the fans hate it, I will try to find merit in it somewhere, you know? Yeah. And because usually they're not hated because it's a bad movie. They're hating it yeah. because of the choices that they make in the movie. I guess uh, people are too close. Maybe they're too married oh, yeah. to things Halloween is in their mind. Like there's, well, of course, there's like four or five sets of Halloween fans and what they like. There's the, you know, the green guys and probably there's those guys now. There's the Rob Zombie guys, the Daniel Harris guys, the uh, the yeah. Colt guys, John Carpenter guys, the Halloween three guys and the Donald Pleasance guys. You know, there's all kinds of guys. <laughs> yeah. And like, especially with uh, Daniel Harris, you know, Halloween four has a strong fan base. Yeah. And which I've never got, but I guess they finished that movie and they thought that the next one would be the little girl becoming the killer. And I did too before I saw it. Did I you? thought that's what this movie was. Yeah. See, I never took that from it. Maybe it's my lack of imagination. It's I figured just the you know, last shot of Halloween Four. You, I thought yeah. it would be direct because, well, I didn't know they were going to keep. Well, of course, it's on like the cover, and you know it's Myers again. But I thought yeah. they were going to lean away from it the first time I saw Four. Yeah, I figured it was just a another addition. You know the because she's kind of like a a tweener in the sense. You know, she's yeah. not exactly. Uh, a bad guy, but she's not so good either. And yeah. uh, uh, suddenly she can't talk and she's got some weird psychic connection to Myers. That's going to get dropped 60 minutes later. <laughs> yeah. I will say like the, the Daniel Harris guys are the most disturbing people. I'm sorry. The Halloween princess. I know you might oh. be like on their side, um, but <laughs> they are obsessed with Daniel Harris to the exclusion of all other women in Halloween. They, they do rants on these uh, Halloween. Oh, yeah. I'm in all these Halloween groups because I, I joined them to share <laughs> all your articles. And now I've been in them for five years. Uh, so now they're so, a part of my life, too. So you, sh you share my pain. I haven't <laughs> I haven't conversed with them in, in a while. I, I have to retain some part of my sanity. <laughs> and ha Halloween ends was rough <laughs> with the fan base. Yeah. I like yeah, it. I, oh, yeah. Yeah. Still like ends. But that's, like, that's uh, a case that's maybe a bad movie that I really enjoy. I think it's really funny that it's bad. I think it's funny that it irritates them. I think that's where oh, you're yeah. going here, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, maybe the one exception to that rule is Halloween Resurrection, which yeah. has no value for anybody. But yeah, you know, between um, like uh, Halloween Ends, Zombie Sequel, which I've defended before, this isn't quite in that tier. Because I do think there are some bits in this movie that are kind of inspired in a way, but this, it varies from that to just being completely incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it does. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of like structure to it is really the main problem. Like we said, they came in without a script and it's just, you feel that the whole time that it's yep. meandering towards something and just doing what horror movies do in the places it doesn't. Yeah, the movie's desperate, it seems, for ideas, and they're just throwing everything at it. 
But I do like, you know, like you said, Loomis screaming at the little girl. I really she's like, like laying out on a bed. She's like defenseless <laughs> besides being like a tenth of his size. Yeah, I was I was going to maybe do a bit where I was going to throw in Loomis quotes throughout <laughs> the pod today. But uh, I guess I don't believe as much as Donald Pleasance did because he, he gives it his all. <laughs> he, he has never seemed so enthusiastic as when he has yeah. to scream at a child or more believable. <laughs> apparently uh reports from the set were that you know he was very professional and he treated the material like it was shakespeare (laughs) (laughs) so god bless you donald pleasance and screaming at the little girl do you know what that casket's for (laughs) i mean i guess like in his career this might be you know it's his arc it's his loomis is the the character people know him for if you're going to take anything seriously it might as well be the the thing people know you for yeah and I do, I do like the take on his character because it's not, you know, he's not like the the guy who's probably crazy from the first one that's obsessed with his patient. Yeah. And, and he's not the, uh, you know, the homely old man from the fourth one. He's he's desperate. He's obsessed and he's and he'll do anything to get his guy. And it's, it's a pretty neat take, I think. Yeah, so, I think he does a good job. If anyone does a good job in a formal way, I think, you know, Donald Pleasant's doing Shakespeare. Miss is good. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give the movie a point for that. But then we cut to like the the Anything the else? lesser the like the cops, which yeah. is a very misguided homage to Last House on the Left, and most people don't realize that they just they have no idea why these two cops are here, and you've got this like Benny Hill music playing with them. But when they it one one of the cops is voiced over all of his lines. Is that why? Really? Yeah. One of them I, I did not notice. I don't believe he has his authentic voice. Um, I think they, they, it's someone else. Like it's not that actor. I believe. I don't know. It's why. probably probably the director. <laughs> I don't know if that was it. Was that maybe homage too? Is that like a last house on the left thing or no? Maybe not. It might be. I I did not know about the the dub. <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. But I I feel like it's pretty clear at a few points. Yeah. But the cops are strange. But of course, we see the cops with another big problem of the movie, and that's the teenagers. <laughs> and so you've got Rachel, you know, Jamie's sister, and she's got her big fans too. And Rachel is friends with the most obnoxious people on the planet. <laughs> One of those being Tina. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, okay. So we're going from the cops, which are kind of like a comedy inversion too. And then we're going into something that Friday 13th always does, which is like the punish the children for their sexuality kind of thing, which isn't Mm -hmm. what Halloween's about to me. I think it's about familial things and and Mm -hmm. old curses and, and, you know, shapes and, and objects and other things and serial killers in the neighborhood. I think, you know, I don't think it's about punishing teens for premarital sex in the first movie. Right. And Carpenter never thought it was, you know, it yeah. just, that was kind of a takeaway. Yeah, yeah it's one of the things that's in it, you know? Yeah. But yeah, you're right. These teams are like straight out of Friday the 13th. And it's it's a missed opportunity from the movie because, you know, where you got a sequel, you got familiarity with characters from the previous one. People have connections to Jamie and Rachel, but Rachel gets killed off like 20 minutes into the movie. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And you have to kill someone off. Yeah, it's like they're trying to do a psycho type deal to shock people, but it's just it's a bad idea because then Tina kind of takes her place 
and we're supposed to buy that she has this big emotional attachment to Jamie when really what they should have done is they should have took Rachel and Tina and combined them into a character named Rachel. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> it, it would have worked. Maybe. Yeah, it it basically writes itself. So you got Rachel and she's got this foster sister that she cares for, but she's a huge burden. The foster sister uh, attacked Rachel's mother. So maybe she's wanting to, you know, deal with that trauma by just, you know, going off and getting laid and, you know, not worrying about the responsibility of taking care of her foster sister, but no, they instead choose Tina. <laughs> and Tina is just like the girlfriend archetype, right? Like she's just oh, about yeah. like her personality is Mike's girlfriend or whatever. It's not like cleverly yeah. constructed uh, archetype with a story <clears throat> behind them. No, no motive beyond being the girlfriend, getting cigarettes, you know. Whatever. Yeah. I do like the scene of her. Uh, well, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I like the scene of her in the car with Michael. I just kind of like Michael driving for some reason. It's my favorite in the movie, actually. <laughs> yeah, where I'm glad you where, where he's wearing wearing uh, some other mask, and she gives him that kiss, and just his eyes, while he menacingly grips the steering wheel. <laughs> I think it might be trying to be comedy. I don't think the director can like capably like show that all the time. Mm. But I think mm. it's trying to play as like a funnier version of the, you know, pre-Scream movies or movies hadn't really figured out how to be too funny uh, in a yeah. lot of cases, like the franchise movies. They were they were missing the mark. And that's why Scream is funny, because they miss. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think Tina, though, is such a, a shallow construction. She just wants to like stop for the cigarettes and, you know, and she thinks mm. she still thinks it's her boyfriend, right? When she's in the car. And that's kind of. Why that's yeah. like an interesting thing with Michael because he's suddenly put in a position. Oh yeah, he does. His name is Michael, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. His name's Mike, right? So they're, they're so they're so clever. So when she's saying Mike, you know, in the car, Mike, stop. You know, he's like, all right, you know. It's, <laughs> that's kind of what's so funny about that, right? Yeah, uh, and this all takes place in the second act, which is the worst stretch of the movie. If we, we get to see Michael kind of stalking again but yeah <laughs> it's it, this movie's version of michael stalking is going behind some single tree that's not surrounded by anything <laughs> in broad daylight right and s supposedly they don't see him <laughs> yeah and it's not shot like it is like as a insert in like halloween to like imply like the location is scary right it doesn't make the location scarier by having him behind the tree no. it's not played into like a geographical like this is how we're creating a context for our horror by by elevating this space by putting this person here behind a clothesline or behind a tree it's not that mm. yeah they, there's no uh you know mystique to it <laughs> right it's just there it's basically what yeah. i'm saying yeah and uh it leads to what is the most obnoxious sequence of scenes in this movie which uh it's a bunch of fake out jump scares that the teens keep pulling on each other where they're pretending to be Michael Myers. First they do it to some cops and they almost get shot. Right. <laughs> and then they go into the barn and there's two more instances where one of them pretends to be Michael Myers and scares, you know, the girl. And this is all back to back and it was boring the first time. Yeah. So by the well, third it wasn't time surprising because it was so expected. Uh, it just yeah. Seemed, yeah. 
because there was no implication that it should be something else to me. Like it just kind of happens as a jump and it has a big stinger in it sound wise, but, but you're not like implied <laughs> that there's supposed to be Michael in the barn. Like it's the implication is that they're going to fool you and try to do one of those fake outs. Yeah. And eventually Michael does come in and, I don't know. He, I guess he looks kind of cool with the scythe and all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, thankfully, he gets rid of the chains so we can move on. <laughs> and then Michael uh, is uh, he who walks behind the rose. This, <laughs> this side. And then uh, Tina finds him. And this is where the movie starts to shift for me mm. and tries to redeem itself. You little. like it uh, a little bit better from there. Yeah, once she finds her dead friends and she goes out and Michael does the whole Christine thing, turning on the headlights of his awesome muscle car that he looks totally bitching in. <laughs> <laughs> you just like it because Michael's in a car, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do I do like Michael in a car. And then uh, they have this car chase mm-hmm. where he's just coming after. And at this point, the little girl can talk again. <laughs> and uh, she's trying to go save her close friend tina which we're just supposed to accept and uh i think the car chase in this is uh it's a bit wild to watch like he is pretty close to him you know and that's actually them i know the actress that played tina um during one of the takes she tripped and the car basically went over top of her oh shit yeah and then he sees, you know, his niece and puts the focus on her. And once again, he's just right behind her, you know? Yeah. And um, it's kind of, it's like a Terminator, like take on, take on it with him in the car and stuff. But, you know, it's, 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 it's like a shot of life. <laughs> the children of the corn I watched before this had an insert from bad boys too, because the studio had that B-roll <laughs> footage. So, no way. Yeah, so there's no like children of corn in this movie. It's children of the corn Genesis. <clears throat> it's just like origin to the origin story. But they oh, they didn't really have a budget, but they did have like enough of that footage unused. So they put in the chase sequence from Bad Boys Two into Children of the Corn Eight or whatever. <laughs> Doesn't fit do at they, all. Do they have a shit just got real moment? Yeah. <laughs> then they fling a coffin a cop up into space so that one's a little wild yeah you know i, I might need to check out children of the corn for what it sounds like maybe uh there's maybe revelation weirdly it has the best kill in the series maybe that's weirdly and the children seem to kill because they play house of the dead video games so, um, oh really yeah maybe that's a maybe that's one to check out but the first three i think you'd like the third one unironically as an effects movie um is is that revelation no the third one i i don't know what the third one is uh children of the corn three and uh <laughs> children of the corn three what's the what's the subtitle there uh urban harvest um <laughs> yeah that that one's pretty good weirdly i think it might be my favorite one it's you know third movies in horror franchises have like this weird thing where they end up being like outliers in weird ways you have like you know uh, maybe yeah. like Friday thirteenth, but you have like the Halloween and it. Uh... Puppet Master kind of does that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you ever watch those, but that's the uh, prequel movie where the bad guy is suddenly the protagonist, and it's 
he's using his puppets to kill Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> so you have Dream Warriors, Nazi puppets, and Urban yeah. Harvest, and uh, Halloween Season of the Witch, or maybe the three or four strange uh, uh, third ones. Oh, uh, Screaming Mad George does the uh, special event oh, in Urban yeah. Harvest. I think you'd really dig it. Uh, that dude's did, wild yeah he goes full screaming mad george too and it's just like buried and kind of like a mid like horror movie but i think you'd really appreciate just like mad effects and kind of okay movie yeah i do there are movies that i like just for that reason <laughs> yeah, you know like I, I with mean, the k sure. uh, and b guys yeah uh like friday the 13th part seven i love the effects work on it that they let you see when it's not that's not cut by the mpaa but you know like the whole design of jason with the spine exposed and everything and yeah, yeah screaming mad george that dude was wild i think he did so society didn't he yeah i think so yeah he's a crazy effects guy so and and they let him go they let him cook in that one so that's kind of fun that's yeah, the only time it's a really fun series though so, so don't watch all of them you know <laughs> Maybe uh, there's like some YouTube uh, summary. That's kind of what I'm doing with uh, the Saul series right now, since the okay. new one's supposed to be critically acclaimed. I feel like it would be harder for you to follow Saw by like following summary because like the plot continuity is so out there, and it would almost be easier just to watch the movies unflinchingly oh. and just be like, I don't know. It, it might be worth it, you know. Saw one is good. I don't um, know. I I actually do not like Saw 1. I have seen yeah, it. There's nothing for you there. It's Yeah, yeah don't watch him. Okay, that's fine. You're, uh, we were just talking, you know, like when that came out, it was kind of hyped and compared to 7. Yeah. And it built up these expectations for me. And I go in <laughs> as a teenager, you know, taking my, I was on a date and watching. I was in such a bad mood afterwards. <laughs> I could see that. Uh, yeah. It's not the best date movie. Yeah. And then I watched, uh, I've seen the first three. Okay. And Saw 3, I thought, was the about the best it got. Yeah, I think that might be true still for you. Um, if I reevaluated, uh, our friend Steven on the site gave a yeah, 10 what about out of 10. Him? <laughs> I did not anticipate. <laughs> well, he loves the guinea pig movies, like those Japanese snuff films. So, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, he wrote a whole thing for the site on that. Uh, maybe he loves the... the you know, torture genre with a message seems to be. <laughs> yeah, he, I didn't, I didn't, there. I didn't anticipate the Saul love. He's also uh, been digging some Chucky, which you know, we're some Chucky heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that. I'm glad that he figured it out with uh, uh, the Bride of Chucky. That it's really just mm -hmm. like a retaliation to them saying like, oh, you know, horror movies are influencing murders, and then they went, they went all out. Stephen reminded me of that. So, uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, as far as like this arc in Halloween goes, it's not the worst. Oh yeah, of all Halloween four movies. <laughs> it's not the worst of this like late series run. Like mm -hmm. uh, like I said, three like Dream Warriors. That's kind of like where I, I want that kind of experimentation. I guess is what I'm saying. I don't want yeah. like this flat like affect of like I'm just following what the the movie basically is on paper. Yeah, you know that's why I'm more in tune to the more controversial entries like zombie sequel. Yeah. Which really, you know, goes out there and Halloween ends, which uh, I have an article that's been tentative for the past year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's still open offer, I guess, if you want to file. That. I wrote, I wrote three paragraphs. <laughs> okay. Well, that's like part of an article then. Um, yeah. 
we'll just publish it like three paragraphs at a time. It'll be like serialized <laughs> storytelling, right? And then we could just say um, Halloween. Maybe like maybe Halloween doesn't have to end. You know, maybe that's the point of the story. It's oh, uh, it's definitely not going to now with uh, Miramax back at the reins. I would like you to do it like before they put out a TV series though, because then we're like under mm-hmm. pressure to do something else, right? And and I don't want to yeah. move on before we do something else. So. Well, I I think I realized that before it was going to be just a review and yeah. With all of the, uh, you know, the toxic conversations of just dealing with people that hated it, I felt like I had to go in a direction to kind of defend its intent, you know. That's why I think it could be better having so much space around it, too, because the conversation was so frustrating before um, mm-hmm. that it would be kind of hard to follow that up, you know. And also, you know, I think that movie, more fans will become more vocal as time goes on especially yeah, I think so. yeah. especially if less the, heat? yeah if the next uh entry that miramax is shitting out is like uh you know just kind of reflective of their prior work outside of like h2o <laughs> is it going to work as tv is halloween going to work as a tv show well you know whenever 2018 came out my one of my big takeaways from that was I think that that movie had too many ideas for yeah. the runtime that they had. And so a lot of stuff is cut and some characters are sort of short by it. So I could have seen that story expanded to a limited series. I could too. And I guess that's what I was going to ask if that was the one that should have done that because we had the director oh, yeah. of like Righteous Gemstones in there. I, I, uh, David Gord Green had done like a lot of the comedy work with Danny McBride who he co-wrote those movies with. So that's where he comes from. Um, Wouldn't he have worked as a TV director for that series? Oh, absolutely. I believe. They're saying that he's probably not going to direct the next Exorcist. Would you take him back for a series? I don't know. As much as I like Halloween ends, um, he needs to do a little soul searching. I think he's, he's putting out too much. <laughs> yeah. Maybe too much content. Maybe that exorcist right yeah. behind Halloween ends was, uh, that didn't seem to go well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's had something the past three years in a row. He's had kills yeah. ends and now exorcist believer and all of them are hated. <laughs> that was with kills kinda... by the way, getting like the COVID delay though. So there was yeah. a little bit of like blanket room there where, you know, this could have like carried over into, different shooting times and and breaks but i think he needs a vacation yeah they're they're definitely not doing the halloween five thing fast tracking you know mm-hmm. like it's it's all planned out um you know they've worked on it for years but still he's there's got to be some sort of break and yeah. i think even he said he wants to like maybe try another comedy or something just to because you know he's made four four films in a row and he did do some work on tv and that probably gives a small break but you know he he needs to find something new. I think he's mm-hmm. kind of a uh, becoming a bit derivative. Yeah, and I think he's kind of said what he has to say about horror movies too. I don't think he has a lot of juice left there. So if you could choose a director who's been fairly active, who would you choose to direct another Ooh. Halloween? Um, I don't know. Would you go for someone who's like prominent, or do you think it should just be like a a pickup from like Sundance, like? whoever directs the the small like maybe like the talk to me guys could you know 
I haven't got to watch it yet. It's okay. it's on my list. I, I, I was know, thinking um, maybe like YouTube generation, like grab someone that's like on social and uh, actually has like a new lens on, on what these characters could be. Yeah, but I do cringe at the idea of getting Laurie Strode again. You know, which I'm sure I'm sure we're gonna get it. And I think so. I think it will happen. Yeah. And with all that, you know, I had I had no feelings one way or the other when they first talked about um how you know there was a bidding war or whatever with the with the television rights. Yeah. But then uh when because that morning there was rumors that A twenty four had had it. So uh, yeah, I know. It felt like they maybe did at some point. Maybe yeah. Miramax. Yeah, it felt like it was like a last minute. Like Miramax went way up and A twenty four ducked out or something. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't. I didn't like have excitement from the idea, but I'm like, okay, you know, that'll that's something I could watch. But then what, when, yeah, oh, I mean, what were they going to do though? Get like Jonathan Glazer, yeah. Ari Aster, <laughs> Jordan Peele. You know, like what what was their plan? I mean, you know. I, I would take Jordan Peele. <laughs> yeah, I mean anyone. Yeah, sure, anyone would take Jordan Peele in that case. Yeah, um, I mean he. Yeah, he's a better example of the David Gordon Green model that kind of allowed that to happen. Like everyone kind of got in on the uh, Jordan Peele model of like going from comedy to horror as a natural mm-hmm. fit. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I and watched then... uh, Scream Queens. Have you heard of that? My wife's yeah, yeah, been watching yeah. that. Speaking uh, of Laurie Strode, and I watched uh, the first season, and I had a lot of fun with it. It's definitely a, yeah. uh, it's definitely a Ryan Murphy show. It is. I, I, I haven't seen so many of those that that's like a big impact. I haven't seen the American Horror Story, uh, but I saw, you know, um, all these young actors, and then Jamie Lee Curtis, and I'm like, maybe they're passing a baton in some ways to some young women who could maybe be in some horror movies going forward and have, you know, but it seems to be like glee people. And my wife, they tell me, Oh, that guy's from glee. I'm like, I don't know them. <laughs> and you know, yeah, cause like he, he made glee too. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Ryan Murphy made like all of the, um, I don't know how to phrase it the right way. Maybe it's like uh young adult Netflix style streaming television shows is kind of mm. like the Ryan Murphy model. Uh, I mean, that's like 20 shows on Netflix that he made, you know, it's, he has a huge deal. Yeah. He gets massive amounts of money and dips his toe in horror probably too often, but Screen Queen seems pretty good. I kind of like it. Yeah. I never gave American Horror Story a shot and I've heard mixed things about it, but Screen Queens was fun, especially yeah. the first season. Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess it's probably been over for a while. Huh? Uh, uh, to me, it's a new thing because I don't watch horror I don't watch horror TV shows. I don't watch any TV, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I got to get in. If if things like Halloween are becoming TV shows, I guess that's an episode of this we'll have to do one day. Oh, my God. We'll have to do every episode. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it'll, it'll take so many years to get through. That A24 will have the rights by the time we're done with the show. <laughs> you know, Maybe. Maybe that Friday the 13th show will actually happen and it'll have some value. Is there anything else that we want to like tell people about? I guess there's still some material left in Halloween. Oh, yeah. There's definitely. I know my last note on the Miramax thing. So I went from. Oh, yeah. I went from total indifference to being like, okay, yeah, I'll watch that. And then once they announced Miramax had it and they they had to say shared universe. Yeah. I just felt like I felt I felt this like tinge of anger. (laughs) 
even marvel is not saying that anymore marvel is not emphasizing a, a universe as much as they were it's not so much mcu anymore it's marvel movies they're doing multiverse and different things you know universe has been over for four years now i mean that's not yeah that's not a popular thing anymore um yes so halloween is definitely going back to the chasing trends model that it had in the 90s then where so what's the universe i mean like what are the extended characters here i don't know are they gonna have a a movie with myers and then have a show where i don't know of a bunch of Corys? who knows <laughs> i guess if they're willing to do different properties that opens up to my idea where we get the annual halloween 3 sequel which is what john carpenter wanted um, and that's what i want um but I don't think that's what they're going to give me, but that, that's not what they mean by universe, because that's the one that's most like a universe, right? Because as Michael Myers on the TV, he exists yeah. within this metafiction, and we're finding out about the history of Halloween, which is like my favorite subject in a horror movie or an audible movie. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I want, though. I just want like the yearly holiday update within the Halloween franchise. I want it to go through all the different cultures of Halloween and like look into them and and see what like weird grotesque things they have in them. That's what well, I would want Kel- to make. So. Celtic with it and such. Yeah, yeah, get yeah. all Celtic with it. Uh, we're not quite leaning into that yet, are we? Like that just kind of that's more like mm-hmm. six and only six, right? Yeah. Even that, though they, you know, three and six, they throw the ideas there and. Halloween five, you know, where they were so desperate. I guess I guess we can circle back to Halloween five. <laughs> we got a break from talking about it. All right. So we've got uh the last act of the film. Mm-hmm. And this is where the movie does find redemption for me, you know, starting with that car chase. And uh eventually they all go back to the Myers house, which is somehow tra- transformed into a gothic style mini mansion at this point. Right. <laughs> And through contrivances, the cops disappear, and it's just Loomis's crazy ass. The little girl and some other cop that's about to die is Myers is outside, and Loomis gets sight. Uh, gets you know, he takes a nap. He tries. To, he has some scene where he uh tries to, you know, connect to Myers emotionally, and uh, of course, it's kind of interesting because you don't really see that dynamic between them that often. Yeah, not him. until this in the next movie. Yeah, kind of tries that, where he's actually like a doctor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, and then uh, of course he Myers, you know, s- slashes them and throws them over the banister, and he kills the cop, and then that sets up what I think is the best sequence in the movie, and it's the the laundry shoot. Okay. Yeah. What do you like about the laundry shoot? I just felt it was just an inspired idea, you know, uh, <laughs> taking advantage of, you know, the size of the girl, you know, she can fit in there. Right. And, uh, it's actually, you know, Halloween four is a better movie. As much as I don't like Halloween four, it's a better mm-hmm. movie than Halloween five and Halloween five definitely has lower lows, but I do think it's, uh, got higher highs here. I think it's scarier <laughs> and yeah. there is susp- suspense in this scene. So, She's at the top of it hiding and he gets it open. Then she falls all the way down to the bottom, like from the second floor down to the basement. Mm. And then uh, the, the the shot of him just walking down, you know, while we're building suspense. And then she has to try to climb up the laundry chute. And it's really claustrophobic. 
and he's just going ham on this laundry chute. Yeah. Finally, finally, uh, you know, he gets the door open and he's trying to reach up and grab her. And then he kind of stops a bit and, you know, we get a beat there. And then the knife comes in and the movie cuts away from it, but he definitely gets her in the leg. Yeah. She, yeah. Yeah. She winces and there's a cool little shot of her having to use the blade of the, the knife that's come through the chute to jump off of. And mm-hmm. so she can grab the ledge and yeah, that, that thing's a banger. I love it. <laughs> it's probably like the closest it gets from one to five of using the house, like in an interesting context. Like you say, using her size through the laundry chute and moving up mm. through the ledge and, and kind of like emphasizing like the structure of the house is like a, a horror play place or a haunted house in a way. It, mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun right at the end. Um, and four is too. I just love the the shot of the of her and the uh, Jamie and the clowns at the end of four. But uh, yeah, maybe that wins four for me in the ending uh, department. But but I like this whole sequence you're describing too. Yeah, and I would agree with that. That they also try to emulate you know the shocking ending of four with their own thing, which we'll, I'm sure we're about to get to. But before that. <laughs> Uh, she goes into the attic where, you know, the, the coffin that Loomis was screaming at her about is up there. And she just kind of, you know, resigns to her fate and lays in it as he mm-hmm. comes up there. And they have a scene that fans just utterly despise. And, yeah, it it doesn't really make sense if you view this as, oh, this is Michael Myers from John Carpenter's Halloween. You know, you want to explain where, that? I don't know if people who are who aren't in that fan base really know what you mean. Yeah. So like a. Uh, there's what he does. He takes off his, you know, she says, uh, she calls him uncle and wants to see his face. And yeah. he, he obliges, he takes it off. He's not burned for whatever reason, you know? <laughs> right. And, uh, they have this little touching moment where, you know, he has a tear stream down and, you know, she's trying to catch it. And I kind of just, I never watch these sequels and see this being Michael Myers from the first film. Yeah, you know the the closest that any of them get to it is uh, the 2018 Halloween, mm. where I can kind of see that it's, you know, I'm like, oh, this is the shape again. Well, because but, it, it wants you to consider things from his perspective again, almost like Black Christmas. Like it it starts showing Michael's perspective, and he reflects on things that only a Michael from Halloween one through, you know, most of the series would have known about. So yeah, and uh, I kind of view it as like. Uh, let's say this is like a comic book series and a new writer and artist has come on and they're going to have their own interpretation of like the bat cave and Batman's costume. You know, this is just a a different take on who Michael Myers is, but people hate the idea of him (laughs) shedding a tear. And (laughs) I I understand it, but it also doesn't bother me here, you know, because I'm so divorced from this being the Michael Myers that I know. (laughs) Yeah. So if it's a different Michael Myers, maybe it's not, um, you know, it's okay if he if yeah. he shows emotion or he's not the shape for me. I don't think I call this one the shape. Maybe that's no my mistake. Do do the fans consider this the shape or is that kind of a one two thing? I I I don't believe they do. Even though like they in their mind he's supposed to be and because I feel like that's the shape and this is Michael Myers. Like I think mm-hmm. this is a more human version, <clears throat> even like things relative to the comedy of him being in the car being you know recognized for the other mike i think he's i think he has human qualities and does human things definitely Uh, 
and yeah, then that's uh, interesting to consider it as a different character entirely. Yeah. And then uh, she gets out of the coffin, runs downstairs, and looms his crazy arms. <laughs> and we get that sequence of him. And this is the bit I wanted to recite, but I just I can't do it justice of him screaming about you the little it girl. A shot. <laughs> okay, give it one more shot. Here. <laughs> All right. Little girl, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she, she really trusts this guy who's been like trying to basically, you know, strangle her for information this <laughs> yeah. whole movie. He's just holding her up as bait and draws Myers into this uh, trap, which you know he was just so proud of thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> the, the metal net that comes down and he shoots him with a few tranquilizers and <laughs> beats him with a two by four to collapse on top of him. And uh, originally, Loomis was supposed to die there. He was supposed to yeah. like stroke out and that'd be the end. And we don't see him for the rest of the movie, I don't believe. But. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you think they, he thought this was Shakespeare, by the way? <laughs> like, which part do you think really connected with him as a thespian? Uh, I don't know. God bless him, though. He, yeah, he just he gives it his all. And then uh, it cuts to one of the more ridiculous shots in the movie. With, <laughs> they're back in the jail. Myers is in his cell on his knees and handcuffs with mm-hmm. his mask still on as he's playing with the chain. <laughs> just yeah. a goofy image. It's strange, and it's strange that like 2018 kind of seems to like start there in a way. Oh yeah, um, it does, don't it? It seems like 2018 is almost cutting out Halloween Six and including everything else. It's very yeah odd. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does do that. It just kind of infuses different parts of the identity of the series. So it, like, I mean, if there's a, to... yeah, if there's like anything it's including there. Maybe it's it's that you know some of the car stuff maybe, but yeah. And, of course, that comes to the finale of the movie, and I, ha- I, have, I have no defense for it. Like, it's, okay, it's, good. <laughs> it's, it's terrible, man. Like, I was worried the have... whole time when you were leading up with the ending really, like, kicks ass, and it's what you like about the movie. I thought you were going to give, like, a passion, like, fan defense of it, which I've heard. <laughs> uh, the Halloween have fans you... have anything for you if you want it. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, so they're... They throw in, they're so creatively bankrupt and they're just so desperate for ideas. They have the the man in black, <laughs> this dude in a trench coat, what cowboy boots and a hat. And he's got the same tattoo on his wrist that Meyer suddenly has, which, you know, they explain in the next movie that he shoots up, shoots up the police station. And that's basically it. You know, it's supposed to be this big shocking ending and it's such a pile of shit. <laughs> I don't know like what, because that character is not really established to me, the guy in the trench coat with the black. I don't know who that is. Like before watching this, they didn't either. They didn't at all. Right. So I don't like. I can't really be shocked by it because I'm still kind of coming to terms with like, what is this person's place in this history, this canon that I I think I understand, and then and then it does this. Did uh did the novelization possibly cover it? Because I know you said you looked into the novelization. Okay, so there's an unofficial novelization, which was really just like a Twitter drama of this guy who wanted to tie up all the loose ends of the uh the between four and six. He thought like, wouldn't it be great if I could tie five into those really coherently? So he tried <laughs> to like write a whole thing. He sent it to this guy who was going to be his publisher, and the guy um. The the writer's name's Jake. This other guy's Sean in the story. Um, so Sean's uh, uh 
kind of a Twitter troll. Like he went to him, he's like, can you publish my book for me? He's like, that license is unavailable. Don't publish it. So the guy self-publishes it on Amazon. And then this other Sean guy goes after him on Twitter and says like, he causes this whole publishing drama of like, you can't do stuff with other people's licenses. And he really like takes this guy down for a whole year of work in his life, just devoted to the Halloween franchise. Um, so that book's not even available. It was available for like several weeks. And uh, this guy really put his like life into it and all his energy. But I thought it was interesting that someone out there tried to tie up all the loose ends and all this stuff in the ending and tried to tie it into six in a meaningful way about, you know, what that would imply about like Celtic cults and uh, what this guy was doing in the house. And uh, uh, yeah, so that doesn't really exist anymore. I think the guy made 20 bucks off it in his total run. <laughs> But I watched like a 30 so, minute YouTube video about this guy who made $20. Yeah. You'll, you'll have to send that to me. This is yeah, a it's, Halloween it's a history. Watch. I don't know about, was this a uh, recent? Mm, I feel like it was like several years back here, but uh, oh, geez, I, I wish I had further details, more specific details because I haven't read it and uh, it doesn't really exist. So it's, it was harder to find things than I wanted afterwards after watching the video because many of the people involved deleted a lot of their tweets because uh, it's kind of a harsh mm. story about like online harassment against creators and, and what fans own of a franchise that I thought was maybe at least worth bringing up because Halloween fans do seem to take some ownership or some feeling of like, this is mine and this is like my personality now for the rest of my life is I'm going to be this <laughs> Halloween fan as uh, as Jesse walks around with his uh, music by John Carpenter shirt in his house. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, I've been <laughs> sitting for an hour for the most part. I did pretty well for you. <laughs> I'm just commenting on your shirt being part of your fandom that you're an eclectic yeah. fan who's you know, based your life around this. And, and I think if people create things, uh, I mean, I want all IP to be free. I don't think uh, companies should own ideas. So um, I, yeah, I guess yeah, I'm squarely can, like on this guy's side uh jake is the creator of the book um yeah i'll send you the video maybe link it in here because it's such an interesting story that i don't think people know of like uh i i just i'm interested in that kind of thing like fans taking license over work and whether or not they can make money out of it we had this screening of uh people's joker here last night which is a big story the last few years about dc um striking down uh uh, trans filmmakers like really interesting idea about uh, fair use and what it meant what the Joker would mean to her, to them with their uh, co-filmmaker who had never seen Todd Phillips Joker also like writing the movie for them so um, I was supposed to see that three or four times now at different festivals and then you know got into a car wreck this week can't go anywhere but uh, yeah a couple of our How you friends feeling? saw it I'm I'm okay. Neck hurts, but you know, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a, a big crash into a barrier. It's one of those where it was like unavoidable with like the, the rain slicked road coming down a bridge. Um, I was in a, a similar wreck once. And the only thing that saved me was the fact that, so at the bottom of this hill in this rain soaked road, um, there's a, there's a turn and this truck was coming and i happened to hit the truck instead of just going Shit. right off the road uh, and luckily you know we were both fine but yeah. uh that would have went bad <laughs> yeah 
Absolutely. Well, no one else was involved, so it's just me, my neck, and my car that are, uh, you know, devastated from this accident. That's fine. Uh, insurance exists for good reasons, but mm-hmm. uh, also annoying this week is I can't go out to anything. Have to Uber out to New Scorsese tomorrow night. So, yeah. oh yeah, that is out. Yeah, Killers of Flower Moon. I, I think it's early here. I think this one's a press thing, but I think it'll be out there in a couple weeks or a week. Oh, really? This week, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that should be great. Um, I I need it. <laughs> yeah, we all need someone like Scorsese who's still like holding the the center of cinema together in a way. I don't know who the next applicant is. Uh, it might have to become someone like you know David Fincher, Richard Linklater, Soderbergh, or someone who's been a long time in the industry. Just hopefully there's always someone there to take those reins. <laughs> yeah. And someone to talk against, like, I guess like populist filmmaking, I want to have a place because I'm a horror guy as well. And that is populist filmmaking. Uh, but I need someone like Scorsese to say, this is what cinema is and, and have a definition at least. Um, mm-hmm. I don't care if it's mine. Um, definitions are important, I think. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I'm just seeing, yeah, our friend Vaughn just read People's Joker, 8 out of 10. That's great. I, I'm excited to see that. Uh, so so that's just my my little story about like the uh, Halloween, unofficial novelization of Halloween 5. Uh, just a strange thing. Yeah, it sounds like, and uh, that basically sums up Halloween 5. We did it, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like if David was here, he wouldn't have smiled once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah speaking of <laughs> oh yeah the smile um yeah so which i'm still unsure about the band name <laughs> yeah i don't know either i what does that mean what is the smile do you, do you know what that actually means i saw him say something along the lines once of you know um the smile from the guy that lies to you in the mirror or something like that. i don't know it's <laughs> some, some pretentious bullshit but it's like okay tom just <laughs> Just, pl- just play the music, man. <laughs> yeah, just play the music. I mean, if it if they called it Radiohead and it was just the two of them, I would have accepted it the same way, I believe. Um, yeah. It, I don't think the name of a band actually ends up mattering as much as we think it does, um, mm-hmm. at least in, in, like, enjoying the music. Okay. Uh, I was at uh, E Street Records, which is just our little cafe record shop here. It's pretty prominent in West Seattle. And... Uh, you know, it has like the mother lipo and the sound garden outside. It has credibility, but I went inside and they were playing like my perfect Radiohead playlist. Like, uh, you know, I was like sitting down for breakfast and they're playing my oxymentosis. And I'm like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like, what yeah. is this your soundtrack to breakfast? It's 9 a.m. It's 10 a.m. You know, <laughs> it's too early. For <laughs> Followed by Idiotech, you know, with all the, the war going on right now. I'm like, is this the time, you know, to be around a diner of 60 people listening to Idiotech while eating my, you know, uh, James Brown's is what I ordered, which is just a hash brown dish. <laughs> mm. And we also yeah. ordered, uh, you know, Francis Farmer's uh, French toast. And uh, oh, they call it Francis Farmer's French toast. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, Benny and the Jets, which is their eggs benedict. So we shared those three dishes. That sounds awesome. I don't have any cool places like that. We usually just get uh, go to the store and hear bro country over the radio. <laughs> that's that's Kentucky for you. Yeah. I'll have to send you like their whole menu because it's all band name puns and everything around like there's. Uh, well, like 
the Pearl Jam guys. Some of them like live or have lived in West Seattle. So this is also their neighborhood where I live. Uh, so there, you know, there's lots of Pearl Jam posters and signings and there's always something about bands that you definitely like, you know, there's clothing mm-hmm. for Alice in Chains like hung up in there with like signed stuff. I mean, that's just like the shop for people like us, I think. Um, oh yeah. It's like a Mecca for like grunge and stuff. So I was like in there and they're playing my perfect radio head playlist. And I'm like, well, this is just too specific. Like I was telling my wife, I'm like, this is just too much for me. I don't like that kind of like one-to-one, like uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe throw like a bro country song in there. So I can't relate to something, <laughs> you know, like I don't want the person making my eggs to know so much about me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like a kind of like how, you know, the companies are always spying on us and giving us yeah. ads. <laughs> it was like more specific than that. Like you talk about like, yeah, you want to like go like invest it. Like, you, oh man, I need to replace my toothbrush. And then they give you like 20 toothbrush ads, you know, it's mm-hmm. more like, what if it had like five of your, in your top 50 favorite songs, five of them played in a row or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, it was disturbing to me that, you know, yeah, so I was watching uh, some of the from the basement stuff yesterday, and then oh, yeah. we were kind of talking about what we're going to do with our Radiohead bit, and you know, came around to the smile. So I went and listened to the record again, you know, and uh, you know, Radiohead, they're one of my favorite bands, easily top five, probably top two or something. And yeah. I'm actually okay with the idea that their recording career is over. I don't if, think it's- if, <laughs> It's it's probably not, but it's probably not, I, but I'd be okay too, I think. Yeah. I'm okay with a moon shaped pool being, you know, the 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 uh exclamation point on that. And I do think uh the smile kind of frees Tom and Johnny from, you know, the shackles of Radiohead. Uh, there's there's a different dynamic. It's like there's a they they use a there's a bit of jazz there and uh some punk or post punk ethos. It sounds like uh, sounds like they get together and they jam and they come up with something and just record it. They don't have to think about it for two or three years, you know. I love the album, like the album that they put out, the studio album. But then I listened to like I think it was like the Montreux Jazz Festival, just like a Swedish jazz festival, and I thought the dynamics were even more interesting. That uh, even more than Radiohead, so much more emerged live because of how they constructed as a three-piece band instead mm-hmm. and how they constructed as you say in jazz parts like each uh, member of the band kind of has a component of the music and is playing into something else and also like switches and in, like instruments and like what you're used mm-hmm. to in radiohead i think is a you know they both like went and worked on films so i think their music became a lot more cinematic than what you know yeah. radiohead had those aspirations and they had like people like Jonathan Glazer like direct their music videos or whatever, but they weren't, I mean, they weren't like the most prominent cinema composers in the world, which, you know, Greenwood, you could make an argument now, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think, I think his direction is better suited to like what the smile is now than going back to Radiohead. It would be like stepping back in a way. Yeah. And for the most part, it, it doesn't really sound like Radiohead to me, you know, it's, Uh, maybe the song Panavision, yeah, uh, which kind of, a... kind of it sounds like a Radiohead piano ballad, but <laughs> they they go uh, just in to- a totally different uh, flavor. Even with a 
Did you hear their single from this year, Bending Hectic? I, I did, but I don't have notes that I remember about it. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, it's like eight minutes long, and there at the end, it's like the heaviest thing they've ever done. Okay. Yeah, I need to listen to that again. I do remember that at the end, that it, it became something else. Um, I mean, you could see like the structure, like what they're talking about and the songs being like Radiohead adjacent, but I agree the sound is so different that if they released this as Radiohead, it wouldn't it wouldn't make any sense as the yeah. as that band has always been about the direction uh, music was heading and and evolution of uh, like user access and context and relationship with the internet in a way, um, and the internet's gone to something entirely else that doesn't fit Radiohead. So being the internet's band, I think, doesn't work anymore the way that it yeah. did with you know being like the first band to release your album just like put it on a website just be like have it pay for what you want you know um, yes now it's now your dad's internet band you know <laughs> right yeah and now like the tiktok thing a radio head that's not how radiohead songs work you can't put them on tiktok um there's time signatures and things that develop in a song but in 30 second in- increments it doesn't happen you know um yeah so I think them just going making like a rock jazz band is a lot cooler direction right now. Yeah, and I feel like there's, you know, they have less pressure to live up to those standards. So we'll see, as long as they keep going, you know, we'll see see them be more prolific as a band instead of having to wait, you know, half a decade for an album and such. So that was my theory about naming the band The Smile as they want, to, want it to be like so innocuous that it can't become like the most popular thing in the world, right? Like it's not going, yeah. you know. Like the the smile sounds like a side project or something, and I I think that approach and that lowered expectation really just allows the band to grow in its own direction. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. And it's fu- yeah, it's you- funny though because like their their album wasn't my favorite album of last year. One of my favorite albums of last year was their Montreux Jazz Festival. It's it's so strange. I do think that they are better live than they were on the studio album, and I, yeah. I like the album. It's not. If I had to compare it to Radiohead, it wouldn't even be near, you know, my my top Radiohead albums. Right, but, yeah. But live, they really seem to come just come alive, you know. Yeah. They and they I, have more space to fill musically, and they're it's like they're being more adventurous and experimenting, you know. I don't know what that means if they try to do Radiohead again after that, right? Like yeah. I don't, I don't see how you go back, like you say um how i mean what what is that now for like ed o'brien right like what it what does that mean yeah. if you go back yeah i think even ed uh put out a solo record yeah i what, think uh, what, they've all like grown in their own solo directions uh, uh yeah uh ed o'brien his solo is like eob i think is his solo artist name which also is just <laughs> innocuous like you can't you know yeah uh seo unfriendly you know yeah, but what would Radiohead be if they came back? Maybe it'd just be like a chasing that uh, nostalgia money in a way. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that's them. So I think like yeah, like I say, maybe like TikTok is right now, and if Radiohead came back, they'd have to be about what's after that. Like, what is after this moment of fragmented socialized music? Like, maybe Radiohead mm-hmm. would be would have to figure that out. Would be their position and what rock history would develop into 
Yeah. Whereas with the smile, they can just throw out some <laughs> throw out some riffs and See? just put it out there, man. <laughs> See, the things we're saying about what Radiohead would have to do are so insane that they don't want to do them, right? <laughs> like I'm saying, they have to redefine the generation of music yeah. after TikTok, and they're like, "What the fuck? Let's do the smile." <laughs> oh my god, we're we're being those fans. <laughs> yeah, I know, and that that becomes all of us for Halloween or Radiohead that we become so over invested that we that you know. But mm-hmm. yeah, several of the songs between Montreux and the album are my favorite songs of last year. Uh, but mainly because they're always going to be. I don't think there was this situation where where Greenwood and York came together and made a band that I was going wasn't going to be my favorite album of last year in some way. You know, that wasn't going yeah. to happen in any capacity. I wasn't going to allow that. You know, they kind of came out of nowhere for me, too, because Tom had just put out that solo record. Right. Um, yeah. I, I can't remember the name. You know, he he did the thing with Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anima. Was, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was really great. I love that. Um, he he had uh, the Suspiria soundtrack and it's, you know, a testament to them that the smile doesn't sound like, you know, even that, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's it sounds like its own entity. Right. Yeah, it seems like a different mode than anything they have done together. And that's interesting. And there aren't really comparable bands right now to The Smile. Mm. I think you could go back and find a lot of uh, like jazz fusion bands and, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, others that were kind of like in that space. But I thought it was so interesting that the the jazz festival was the right place for them where Radiohead might not make sense there. Yeah, I don't think it would. It's kind of like a weather report meets joy division. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, almost exactly like those things. It's it's strange and different. Yeah, I know as a amateur mu- musician, uh, I get jealous when I watch them play. It looks so fun. They make it look incredibly easy and like when I've seen them live, it's another thing like it's it's another case like like I say about the AK cameras where it's like they're too good for it to just be live music. It's it's kind of staggering and uh, intimidating for anyone who creates things. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that uh, hoping that they just keep going and uh, we'll get another album maybe the next year or two and just keep keep on trucking. <laughs> well, yeah, they got to keep trucking. And we still have some Radiohead albums to get through. We couldn't really do them without David here. So yeah, let's see. We've done Kid A. We've done In Rainbows, I believe. Did we Hell do to Pablo the Honey? No, we did in Hell to the Thief. Okay, here's my confession. I've never listened to Pablo Honey all the way through. But you know, like a few of the songs. Obviously, yeah. you know Creep, but I know Creep um, and anyone can play guitar. I've heard okay. it. Maybe but, you're okay. you know, they, <laughs> yeah, they they always start start the bins for me. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's where they, you know, maybe should start. I don't feel like they acknowledge much of Pablo Honey anymore no like, no any anytime they play creep it always seems like it's in jest <laughs> yeah they didn't forever and then once they did again it seemed like they were you know it almost seemed like a commentary about why they didn't do it it was uh yeah yeah because to the greater populace you know that's what they are known for <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the bins they really got very savvy with like how they presented themselves and and who they were um that's funny. They they had like they, anyone could play guitar, but then they redefined music away from guitar music eventually. Mm-hmm. And they still uh like last time I saw them live a few years ago, you know, they 
they do represent the bins. So yeah, they 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 do like that era, especially yeah, uh, that that B side uh, talk show host, which yeah. is just it's a banger live. It's awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and we've done yeah. So we did Hilda Thief and Rainbows, uh... Kid A last year. Maybe we did okay. OK Computer. Maybe we maybe I'll have to go back and find out. Um, yeah. But I think we do have the bins left to do. Maybe that's next year. Uh, yeah, the bins, Amnesiac, which I don't know if we cover that during Kid A, because that's when they put out the uh, Kid Amnesiac album. Yeah, I think we kind of did both. I don't remember. Uh, but King of Limbs, which is probably fun to talk about. Yeah. For it, <laughs> it, it, it being what it is. I think I like and, it more than most people. Uh, yeah, and I do like it. I, I also think that I don't know. Maybe we should save that. Yeah, we'll save it. <laughs> and then a uh, moon shaped pool, which I love the moon shaped pool. It's one of my favorite Radiohead albums. Yeah, I think we need to keep saving that one for a couple of years and uh, yeah. just let it cook. And you know, maybe like by the time we do these in like two, three years, there might be a new Radiohead or something that we we insert there. That could be yeah. fun too. And two or three seasons of a Halloween show. And... <laughs> <laughs> what a nightmare that we have ahead of us that we've committed to now. That's terrible. But next year, next year you go from you're jumping from the corn to the thorn. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Next year, back with the is that two episodes, by the way, or is that is it one episode? I don't know how I, we did that. I say it's I say it's one episode, okay. uh, but definitely both cuts. <laughs> yeah, we have to cover both of them. All right. Yeah, one of them is I, I I claim it is the worst movie I've ever seen released by a major studio, and. <laughs> The other one is just so mind-numbingly just insane and <laughs> almost offensive. Well, I'm <laughs> sure we'll get David back shares. now once David yeah. hears this about next year's episode. Oh, I'm it's sure they're, they're, they're pretty good. David really like it. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and and I think one of them's, one of one of those cuts is a musical western. Right. <laughs> Oh, uh, when I was uh, researching the, the novelization, I saw there was uh, some novelization called uh, Leprechaun in the Hood. What is it? Okay, hold on. Leprechaun in the Hood, a musical, a novel. Whoa. Yeah. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Have you uh, you got much Leprechaun experience? Oh, yeah. I have all the Leprechaun experience. Yeah. I, have, I haven't seen those either. Okay, so, yeah, Warwick Davis. I'm a, I'm a Warwick Davis guy. So one day when we finish with Halloween, which we're never going to be finished because we're never going to stop making them, we move on to Leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I wrote about Leprechaun. Like in, we all did like our defining horror movies that defined us because Leprechaun was my that first horror right. movie when I was five yeah. years old. And I, I sent it to my dad. I'm like, Dad, thanks for uh, showing me Leprechaun. I wrote about you here and, and it's really nice and and he like made no comment about it at all. Oh. I was like, Dad, what's that mean? You know, uh, and he was just like, Oh, you should watch all these Mike Flanagan movies. And I was like, What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. My uh speaking of dads, you know, like when I when all those Halloween articles came out, he uh he shared them with like everybody at his work. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, like Yeah, I'm that. Yeah, and I said, Yeah, that's it, Dad. I'm not writing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why it's taken over a year? Maybe he'll share yeah. this podcast if uh, if he finds it's, it somewhere. Yeah, it's basically like performing surgery on myself to just force the words on the page. 
I understand. Yeah, it gets yeah. harder the longer you go between them, I think. Yeah, I'm a notoriously slow writer as well. Like, those three paragraphs took me a while. <laughs> well, we'll have you back uh, next year. And if you'd like, maybe it'd be nice to have you before then. Like, maybe we find some non-Halloween thing to do, like in the spring yeah. or something. We do say this every year. I do believe. <laughs> I, do think, I think we do. We'll be like, we'll have you back in a few months here. And then yeah. I call you in, like, October. I'm like, hey, are you ready? Yeah, man. I was born ready. Halloween. <laughs> All right. Thank you, buddy. Uh, always a pleasure, dude. We'll see you then. Conversations and I post them online for entertainment. It's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world. Things have changed, everybody's entertaining. Who's being entertained? Thank you for listening. Yeah.